You're listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the opinions, legal intent, or nature of Congress Wealth Advisor Solutions, Congress Wealth Management LLC, or their senior management. Please note that Congress Wealth Advisor Solutions is a division of Congress Wealth Management, LLC. Congress Wealth Management, LLC is an SEC RIA based in Boston, Massachusetts. For additional information about Congress Wealth Management, LLC, please visit our website at www.congresswealth.com or visit the Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching with Congress's CRD number 310873. Congress Wealth Advisor Solutions, Congress Wealth Management LLC, and their senior management believe this information in this program to be accurate and reliable but does not warrant it as to completeness or accuracy. Due to rapidly changing market conditions and the complexity of investment decisions, supplemental information and other sources may be required to make informed investment decisions based on your individual investment objectives and suitability specifications. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such. No portion of this program is to be construed as a solicitation to buy or sell a security or the provision of personalized investment tax or legal advice. Investing entails the risk of loss of principal. everyone and welcome to another episode of Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host again, Ryan Carroll. Uh, my guest today, um, someone I'm really excited to have on the podcast and we at Congress have worked closely with uh, over many years, is uh, Heather Rhodes. Um, and I always, uh, you know, probably should be a better host and introduce my clients. Heather, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that, to talk about your background um, because it's amazing and and I want to don't want to make any mistakes. So um, it's great to have you on the podcast and uh, sort of you know give us an introduction to you and and to uh, your career. Thanks, Ryan. I'm so pleased to be here. So I am an estate planning attorney with the law firm of Cummings and Lockwood. We were actually we're over a hundred and year hundred years old. We were founded in 1909. We have about a hundred attorneys and fiduciary accountants that span offices both in Connecticut and Florida. We are in Stanford. Greenwich and West Hartford, and I actually sit in the West Hartford office here in Connecticut. We're also in Naples, Bonita Springs, and Palm Beach Gardens in Florida. And our private clients practice is the hallmark of our firm. We are one of the largest trust and estates practices in the United States with about 60 of our 70 lawyers specializing in trust and estates. So this is what we do. We handle not only the estate planning for clients, but also the estate administration once someone passes away, including, you know, counseling on executors and and trustee roles. We also focus on charitable giving planning, including establishing family foundations, other charitable giving vehicles that clients are interested in using to maximize their charitable goals. 
We do also have a commercial practice, including uh, litigation attorneys focusing on all types of litigation, but including, as you can imagine, probate litigation <laughs> for some of our estate uh, administration matters. We have a robust banking and lending and credit transaction practices, as well as attorneys who advise on you know, corporate partnership and LLC structures as well. That's uh, that's a uh, very expansive, I'll say. And and uh, if you have sort of more background on on yourself, we'd love to hear that and sort of your story and and how you got involved. And maybe we can swing back to obviously you know the the locations uh, of the offices, very strategic, you know, with a lot of snowbirds, and that's always a hot topic in uh, in financial planning and estate planning circles. Oh, for sure, absolutely, yes. So I've been with the firm my entire career. I uh, started here as a summer associate right when I was in law school. I'm now chairman of our pri private clients group as a whole and also head up our West Hartford office where I am resident. And not only, you know, I focus on the estate planning, obviously, in the estate administration. I do also have a subspecialty in the charitable planning area. I love assisting individuals not only with, you know, their estate planning goals, but also incorporating any charitable planning goals that they may have whether it's you know outright bequests in their will or trust or more sophisticated planning like a charitable foundation or charitable trusts. So we kind of incorporate all that in the you know estate planning arena. Oh wow, that's awesome. I didn't I didn't know if I knew that this that was your subspecialty, which is great to hear. You know, there's uh, I actually was just working with a few of my clients who are institutions and, and charitably based. Um, so that's interesting work as well. And maybe we can we can dive into that. Why don't we start? Um, and I've been and thank you for the introduction and the background. It's it's great to sort of hear the story um, that you've been with, and I would assume it's in many professions uh, the exception to the rule with being with one employer. My, I myself am the same. Um, awesome. For my entire career, yeah. So we're we're uh, the last of the in that sense. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, big picture, Heather, the 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 audience here, and and you know, I think a lot of our listeners, right are independent advisors, um, you know, or small ensembles, right? Some permutation of, you know, the RIA or the financial planner. Um, and so obviously when our own practice and with our own, you know, clients at on Congress Wealth and Congress Wealth Advisor Solutions, right? The planning conversation and the estate planning conversation and the holistic conversation really are all wrapped into one. And so, you know, I think maybe if you want to give people a sense, you know, at your level, right? How you're working with, those types of partners um, and sort of maybe what your framework is for how you, you, you want to get integrated into relationships, you know, just give us sort of an overview, maybe for some of the listeners who might obviously know about the potential and the, in the, in the real fiduciary duty, obviously to partner with someone of your caliber in your arena. Um, but maybe are just starting that journey or want to improve what they've done in the past. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, over the years, I've kind of learned and fine tuned, you know, how I work best with advisors, including RIAs. And of course, everybody's different in that approach, but I really love kind of the collaborative approach in general. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the team working together and sharing information, and I find that really the clients are best served when the entire team of advisors are on the same page, have shared information in advance. You know, that includes not you know, everything from joint meetings to sharing thoughts and information, you know, behind the scene. And many times I find that the RAA is actually the quarterback for the client because he or she ends up, you know, interacting and speaking with the client the most out of any advisor and really knows the client 
the best, the family situation, you know, the client's goals and, and worries potentially. So all of that insight is very helpful to the estate planning attorney when usually we're kind of new on the scene and brought in. And so to kind of have some of that background is really helpful to kind of navigate what may be, you know, some of the client's fears or wishes that we may otherwise not, you know, be privy to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I would say, you know, if, um, how, how I guess would you prefer if you're starting a new relationship with uh, an RIA or an advisor, you know, how would you want that to look, right? Do you want to be brought in at the very beginning, sort of maybe after they've helped craft some content? Is there a preference or a best practice there at all? Yeah. And really, I find that um, I don't particularly have a preference. I have some RIAs that I work with that are very fluent in kind of the estate planning structure and sure. speak. And yep. so they've maybe had a few meetings with the clients and delved into some of the things to think about, you know, disposition of assets to your children, you know, trustees selection, you know, those type of things. And maybe they've had those conversations initially. And then by the time I join, it's more kind of a recap and getting into the details. Um, others say, no, really, I just want to say we have to do estate planning yeah. and then we call you. <laughs> so that's perfectly fine as well. And then for those meetings, I know that we should start more of the basic discussion because the clients haven't had that kind of pre-talk. Sure. Um, so either is totally fine. And it's really just what the advisors are comfortable with in that way. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I agree with that. I think sometimes it's, it really depends on the advisor. Um, I guess, you know, for me, is, is there maybe for um, someone who is trying to look at, you know, adding and partnering with an estate planner, right? An RIA who's, who's looking to do that. Is there a way that, you know, um, I guess I want to say, you know, that there could be a good partnership for growth for both parties. Is that something that, that, that you've worked on or that you have any thoughts about? Absolutely. And I do think that, you know, obviously at some level, it's kind of a personality connection, right? You mm -hmm. kind of meet people that you get along well with and that you have a good rapport with. And that's really the best way I remember as a junior attorney, one of my mentors, um, I was worried that I, you know, I wasn't going to meet people and how was I going to, you know, yeah. develop <laughs> these connections? And I'd go to all these, you know, seminars and things. And at the time I was so young and I felt like, gosh, everyone's older and they they think I don't know anything. Right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so, and, and she gave me the best advice. She said, find people that you actually enjoy spending time with, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. then can develop into relationships. Right. And so I kind of tried to do that. And I find those are the best partnerships for me are RAAs and other advisors that we actually share, you know, commonalities and enjoy working together and yep. kind of have the same thought process. And then it makes it much easier to kind of refer back and forth, right? Because you know what the client service is going to be and you know how they're going to interact with the client. And I think, yep. you know, referring is sometimes scary, you know, in both directions, right? Sure, because sure. if you refer and then it goes poorly, it's going to come back at you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a vulnerable. You know, I, I didn't really think of it this way until recently, but right, it puts each party in a real vulnerable position, you know. Totally. So I agree with that 100%. Totally. And I hadn't thought of it that way for many years either. And, and, and then realized, you know, when someone's referring to me, it's a, it's a real compliment, but it's a real responsibility, right? Yeah. Because they are entrusting um, their relationship to, with the client to me to kind of facilitate that as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so I think, and, and, you know, we strive to do that. And unfortunately, sometimes it's hard, I think in both directions 
to make referrals um, because someone either comes in with either an estate planning attorney if you're on the RIA side or comes in with an advisor if you're on the estate planning side. But, you know, over time, those opportunities are there. And in the meantime, you know, I'm thrilled to do, you know, a review. You know, if one of the advisors I work with says, oh, I had this client, I can't bring them to you, but I have no idea what their will says, you know, or they're asking about a qualified residence trust. Like, what are they talking about? I love to engage in that behind the scenes. You know, I'm happy to ghost things or talk about it or do a review. And I feel like that adds value. It helps them. And then at some point in the future, hopefully I'll be able to refer a client where we can work together. Yeah. 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 No, and I think for you know, a lot of, um, you know, firms out there that are starting and have different models as far as, you know, how they approach the relationship and what their specialty is, you know, that, and, and we have found that I know, you know, and we'll disclose that very helpful from you in that sense that, you know, I think one of the biggest strengths that any advisor can have at some level is that they aren't the end all be all right, that they have their strengths and have their weaknesses and to partner, right, which is what you're saying with with people who have specialties, and totally. uh, like you and that, you know, again, that's, it's finding the solution, the right solution for the client and doing so in the fiduciary way in many respects. Um, Absolutely. And that may or may not involve, you know, that partnership, but it may get you there Mm -hmm. in other ways. Totally. Yep. Yep. I agree with that. Um, And so as I'm sort of like thinking about the different ways that, you know, and I think one of the themes in the podcast that we do is, you know, thinking of the, the, um, you know, trying to bring a different perspective to the conversation that might be sort of, you know, over, oversaturated in other ways. I'm not going to, I don't want this to be a negative sense, right? There's no judgment here on the podcast. That's, you know, that's on record. Um, (laughs) The, uh, so what, you know, what should people, if they are new to this or if they, you know, don't have a lot of relationships with their advisors, um, what are the the don'ts, right? What are things that maybe are a little pet peeves of people in the estate planning side where it's like, Hey, I've seen someone do this and, you know, not that they're bad or that, you know, there's any judgment on it, but it just didn't work out. And maybe just sort of, you know, giving people that sort of, you know, advice of, hey, if you're going to start working with an estate planner and want to form a partnership, maybe these are things that you want to avoid. Yeah. You know, and I kind of learned this over time and in my practice that I was careful if I knew there was a team of advisors, I was careful to not come out really strong at the beginning of like, this is my opinion and this is the only right way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Because who knows, they may have gotten the exact opposite opinion from one of the advisors on the team. Right. And, um, I don't ever want to be in that position to be like, Oh, you know, my bad, I'm sorry. You know, or I stepped on your toes. So I always try to, you know, couch it as like, well, one way to do this is, or there may be options to accomplish your goal. Right. And then try to get the teams and, and we get to the right answer, whatever that is. But that goes kind of back to the collaborative approach. Like it's hard if, you know, when I've had clients come to me, um, and say like, I was told by so-and-so that this, I had to do X, Y, and Z. Right? And then yep. I'm in the position where like, shoot, what if there's other options? Like, do I just forget those or do I try to bring it up in a way that doesn't offend? Yeah. Um, so just kind of being broad, some broad strokes until the whole team can kind of focus, hone in, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 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 it definitely does. And I, you know, again, that's something that, like you said, I think is learned over time for any of us, right? No matter what side of the table that we're on of, you know, when you're, you know, you're trying, you know, in estate planning, obviously, like many areas of the, of the, you know, RIA or advisor and client relationship can be somewhat thorny for whatever reasons. Totally. Having some of the, the, not the theatrics, but sort of the, you know, positioning around, hey, let's sort of like, maybe there's a little bit of a process to 
bringing up an idea or bringing up a solution or or something of that nature. That, totally. You know, it just takes a little massaging and that usually ends up uh, being better. So No, totally. And I've learned areas, you know, over time, I remember being a young attorney having a discussion about like the beneficiaries for an annuity yeah. and to this day annuities scare me and I will <laughs> I, I can't comment on them but I had an idea or what I thought would work in terms of a trust with an annuity yep. and the RAA and advisors were very clear that like that wasn't going to work with the annuity structure that was yep. in place and so sure. luckily like they were able to help me navigate that and I didn't look like an idiot but I could have you know, kind of yeah. look like an idiot there if I'd come out too strong. So it's really helpful to just have the entire expertise of the team on those kind of things. Yeah. And, you know, again, not that this is a new sort of thought point or a new hot take on, on any of this stuff, but right. I think it just reinforces for me at least, right. Basics of communication, basics of just sort of, you know, the blocking and tackling to either use a bad sports uh, euphemism <laughs> of, of any relationship, you know, whether it's totally. personal or professional, it's just sort of, you know, be organized, you know, communicate more often. And and I think what I heard too is, you know, keep an open mind and be humble in some ways totally. on both sides of the uh, the conversation. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's true at every level. You know, we, yeah. you know, as we grow and we learn more, we feel like, okay, we've got this, but I learn every day, you know, yeah. and I've presented with new alternatives or options every day from advisors and I'm lucky to learn, you know, those things. Yeah. And that'll be true forever. Yeah. And, and, and so here's another question, you know, and again, obviously the scale of coming to Lockwood, um, you know, and, and the nuances of working with clients to sort of drill down on that. You know, I think in our side and the, the advisor side, you know, we do see maybe slight variations. It's always interesting to me, maybe is a better way to say it, to see the differences of and the similarities between, you know, smaller clients and maybe larger, more complex clients. Is there, if from your view, is that, you know, is there any sort of perspectives on uh, maybe stories, right? We might have advisors out there listening that have really, you know, straightforward, more mass affluent clients where it's a simple sort of you know, will and, and, and POA type of package and other ones who might have larger, more complex, maybe family office level clients. Is there um, some sort of perspective or, or um, you know, insight that you can provide from your side on those different types of relationships? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, the, the ever-changing estate tax laws, which as an aside, I used to think was going to you know, require me to get a different profession. <laughs> and now I've just determined is like the full employment act for estate planning lawyers. <laughs> um, but the ever-changing estate tax laws have kind of, you know, shifted that those client bases, right? And, and the clients that we used to do sophisticated tax planning for, including, you know, and in addition to like insurance trusts and gifting trusts and, you know, those type of charitable and charitable yep. vehicles, that uh, threshold of a state size needed to, you know, implement that sophisticated planning has increased so exponentially, huh. you know, from the beginning when I started practicing and the estate tax exemption was $600,000 per person. Wow. It's now over 12 million per person, <laughs> yeah. right? So, um, hence Talk my about inflation or, or yeah, yeah, right. yeah, that's, that's definitely it. So I think, you know, over time, the, the clients who don't need the really sophisticated planning and all of the bells and whistles, you know, have grown. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot more kind of um, blocking and tackling planning, like we call it, you know, yeah. wills and revocable trusts, let's say, who that dispose of the assets, maybe have some asset protection features, because no matter the asset level, we do find that many clients like the idea of protecting assets in a trust for their children 
so that those assets are protected in the event the children are divorced or sued or something yeah. like that in the future. Yeah. So kind of that asset protection overlays really almost all the planning we do. But then there are, as you were saying, Ryan, those chunks of clients that maybe more simple wills and revocable trusts, right? Without a lot of tax planning at the first death, because we don't need to maximize using both of the estate tax exemptions. Mm -hmm. And then there's that bunch of clients, as you were saying, kind of more of the family office clients, right? They have significant wealth where they their estates will still be subject to an estate tax upon the death of the survivor of them, mm-hmm. even with these large exemptions. And for those clients, you know, then those same rules about asset protection in the wills and revocable trusts apply, but then there's all these kind of a la carte add-on items that those clients are going to need as part of their plan, gifting trusts, charitable vehicles, you know, yeah. ways to pass assets to their children at reduced estate tax cost. So those are the add-ons that we're still doing for those clients. We're just not bringing all of those to bear on the clients that don't need, you know, kind of all that planning, if that Got makes it. sense. Is there, is there a, um, and that's, that's a good sort of reference on the, on the sort of document and, and that side, is there a uh, similarity or differences? I, I guess I'm couching the question in that, you know, for our family office clients or larger clients, you know, at some level, you know, the, um, the switch or the perception is that you would, you know, be so complex and so in depth and, you know, uh, as the assets go up at some level, I think that the simplicity uh, is what they're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're by nature complex. Is there a, a similar dichotomy at all on your side of the table with that? Yeah, that's very interesting because um, we, as you are describing, believe also in as simple as we can make it, right? We're not here to make it more complicated. The IRS tax code already does that for (laughs) us. So many very wealthy clients, you know, are seeking that simplicity. And just by nature, as you said, their lives are complex already, right? So understanding their plan, understanding that their assets are going to go in trust for their children, asset protected, here are the trustees, these are the rules. You know, we strive to make that as simple as possible. And so I think, um, that's always our goal, even though, you know, they may have six or eight trust buckets, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but to your point, if we can make that as simple as possible, as opposed to making each one of those look different, you know, if there's no reason to, yeah. we can try to make it, you know, as simple as possible, um, and, and still accomplish those goals. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and as far as, you know, the difference in different clients and, and how advisors work with them, that's always been, I think to me, the, uh, most interesting thing is that, you know, the, that sort of switch or that flip of, you know, you have all this complexity built in. And if you can deliver those types of clients, simplicity, right, versus and, and I think probably people, you know, maybe approach uh, the estate planning or some clients would have the same idea about the estate planning already in general, right? It's a very complex, you know, sort of in some ways amorphous thing to a lot of clients potentially. Definitely. Uh, but you know, once you, you know, sort of bring them into it. And if you're delivering something that can be very, you know, simple and straightforward and and have that theme throughout it, right. It might make it more approachable, especially if, and I'm just thinking if advisors maybe at some levels are having a difficulty or are looking at um, to use that conversation as an entry point to broaden the relationship in many respects. So absolutely. And that's a great point you made about, you know, being unapproachable. I mean, I have clients that say, you know, our kids are now 18 and we're finally doing this because we couldn't have the conversation before. And, you know, it's really 
it doesn't have to be that complicated. You know, yeah. who are your beneficiaries? How do you want them to get the assets? Who's going to be in charge? Yeah. You know, and that's on us to make it as simple as possible. So the clients feel like, okay, yeah. this is something on we us can too. Do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think, you know, for a lot of the, the advisors out there too, we've had some other guests on the podcast who are RIAs and, you know, they have found ways, you know, and I'm thinking again, from sort of a growth perspective, you know, to utilize conversations with ancillary services, right, in some respects, right, you know, taxes, estate planning, Definitely. whatever it might be to loop back into. I think the other thing, too, is the, uh, the you know, next generation planning is inherent in what you do, right? Yes. And that needs to be inherent, obviously, for if you're running your own practice and you're in many of the demographic trends that we all know about the, the industry out there when it comes to wealth management or financial advice, that it can be a very useful tool, so to speak in order to start to maybe bridge some of those gaps with people's children, extended family, you know, which adds to the revenue and the sustainability really of some firms overall. Oh, totally, totally. And I think that's an area where over time we realized, you know, as you said, it's kind of inherent in our practice, but yeah. but we also have to work to get to know those children, right? And that next generation. And yeah. if you don't do that, you know, that kind of perpetualness is lost when yeah. it's there for, you know, the, um, it, at least the connection that you can make if if you are willing to do that with them. Yep. Yeah. Do you guys have, you know, a common question that I think we'll get sometimes from, um, you know, clients or other advisors alike? Are there strategies that you have? You guys must be so familiar with the, the family conversation, I think, is the way that we hear about it, right? Is there, are there, um, is there strategies that you guys have within the estate planning community to approach, you know, younger generations and, uh, that maybe we haven't heard of on our side of the desk. Well, no, I'm sure I'm sure we've <laughs> collaborated on this over time. But I yes, think, yeah. you know, I think the family, you know, we love to suggest family meetings, you know, once yep. the children are of age and it's appropriate. And it doesn't have to include the numbers, but it includes the concepts of why. And Got that it. that helps us. I mean, we're selfish in doing that also, because if the children hear, you know, here's the structure and this is why. It's not that we don't trust you or it's not that, you know, you're not a grown individual yeah, that yeah. makes good decisions, but we want to protect the assets through multiple generations, or we want to include such and such as the, in part of the plan, then that's more palatable. And the children can hear that from their parents directly instead of from us, you know, up in an estate administration yeah. meeting, which is the worst <laughs> yeah. time, right? You, you agree that's to, that's true, yes. to meet the children. So I think that's one. And then, you know, I have clients right now that have three grown children and they said, you know, Oh, call Heather. She'll help you with the estate plan. And then I've connected them with one of my younger associates, associates. right? Yeah. Because you could tell they were like, oh, I'll talk to her. But, you know, she's like my parents' <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> so like, uh, yep. And then, well, that's know. the trouble. And I think, you know, that is, you know, again, I think a lot of advisors, and again, if they're sort of in the demographics in our industry, right, there would just be that natural generational shift. Definitely. And so a big push, obviously, on our side has been similar, right, is utilizing younger team members, you know, introducing them into relationships. It would help them, obviously, potentially you know, grow in their careers. And it's just sort of a, a self-feeding, positive feedback loop almost yep. in, in many ways. And it's good for everyone to your point. Yep, yeah. Agreed. Um, so I'm keeping an eye on time, and, and but I do want to get to this point because, and, and I would appreciate again, the, the time you're spending talking about that stuff. Give us a sense. I think, you know, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, right, this stuff changes a lot more over time than maybe a lot of people realize. And maybe, you know, even younger estate planning attorneys realize Give us a sense of some of the trends that you see out there right now, right? The world is, uh, and I'm not going to say chaos, but it was a changing <laughs> world in many ways. Um, so what are the the different things that you guys on the estate planning side are seeing changing 
when it comes to different, you know, trust structures, obviously tax law changes, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've, you know, um, been to some seminars, you know, on these type of issues recently and flexibility, flexibility, flexibility is what everyone's talking about. Right. So in the old days, we used to kind of, you know, oh yeah, do this irrevocable trust or here's your gifting plan, you know, but now who knows what it's going to be next year. And when clients say like, well, is this permanent? When we talk about the estate tax exemption, we laugh and we say, well, you know, in 2026, the law is scheduled to drop back, but there's going to be a change in presidency before then and yeah. it'll never be permanent right and yeah they're like oh if they look at me like we're crazy so i think whatever and flexibility means different things depending on the client and the plan right mm-hmm. so whether that means embedding like powers where other people can change the trust once somebody's passed you know keeping okay. as much control to change the plan if that doesn't hurt the tax consequences right there's sometimes where you can't retain control because sure. We don't want it included in the estate for tax purposes or other things. But to the extent that there's an ability to retain control, either in the creator, the grantor, or in someone else, that just increases the ability down the line because who knows what's going to happen. And we're trying to plan for the scenario that we know now, but we've learned that we don't know what it's going to be in the future, right? So I think that's the biggest change. Um, And even when we're talking about gifting strategies, you know, trying to reduce clients' estates, look at that on a yearly basis now in the old days we used to be like well here's your plan go do it you know over the time and and now it's like okay where are we this year what do we think the tax laws are going to be how are the income tax laws changing to overlay that you know so there's this continual revisit and need for flexibility that has kind of overshadowed a lot of the irrevocable techniques that we used to use without even thinking about how the future was going to you know be changing yeah. What, one thing that we've seen on our side, and I didn't even think of this until you were just sort of talking about that with the changes and everything going on is um, uh, grats and sort yes. of different different types of, uh, you know, not, you know, sort of um, gifting strategies like that, that because of the rates, right? Is that something that you've seen a lot of action in? Definitely. Yeah. You know, interestingly, with the rates being so low, that's very favorable for for grat, you know, yep. as one of the gifting techniques, because the amount that the grantor has to get back is less, and there's better chance of performance um, success yeah. to go on to the beneficiary. So we've seen a lot of grats, and then on the converse side, mm-hmm. other techniques uh, like residence trusts and things like that are hurt when the rates are low. So we've kind of seen a stall out in those planning. So it, they huh. kind of balance each other out in terms of techniques. For Got sure. it. Yeah. Interesting. And, and to, to, uh, to go back, we obviously being in the Northeast, but now having two offices in Florida, are you guys still seeing, you know, Connecticut being the epicenter of sort of <laughs> snowbird, unfortunately with some of the other tri-state uh, areas. And I'm sure it's happening out in, you know, the West coast and other areas of the country for similar reasons with people moving to Texas. Is that, um, is that something that's still picked up? Is that still progressing? Yeah. You know, we still counsel a lot of clients, you know, in changing their domicile to Florida and other yeah. places. And I think, you know, Connecticut's really tried, at least on the estate tax side, to become more friendly yeah. and has drastically increased its estate tax exemption. It's now 9.1 million per okay. person. Yep. Um, will is set to be aligned to the federal exemption next year. So they've really tried to to be more friendly on the estate tax side, but I think the income tax piece drives people out Got you know, it. Yeah. despite yeah. that. Yeah. So yes, we're, we're still, <laughs> we're still seeing the mass exodus, which, you know, um, many people still maintain a presence in Connecticut and then, mm-hmm. or the, you know, New England area. And then it's just 
making sure that they do the right things to stay out of the tax the state. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Always a fun conversation. Yeah, totally. Making sure they receive their mail and the certain yes. place and all that stuff. We're like, get out of here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> stay for some of the time, but get out of here every other time. Um, well, Heather, I really loved uh, catching up with you and having you on the podcast. And um, I definitely would, hopefully you'd be nice enough to come back on in the future. Um, oh, so I would love to. Thanks for having me. We absolutely appreciate it. And um, for all the listeners out there, this has been another episode of Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. If you have any questions about the program or for Heather, just um, you know, shoot us an email at advisors at congresswealthadvisorsolutions.com and we'll try to get you some answers or get you in touch with Heather. So thanks everybody again and we'll talk to you soon. 